0: Welcome, and please join us for this 30 minutes with Lorimer Mosley as part of our Master Sessions and Lorimer's course in June 2024 in York. So thank you, just uh, have a seat, get yourself uh, comfortable. Um, Thank you, Lars, for joining again. This is uh, is (coughs) a great opportunity again, Today's discussion will be, we will delve in the nitty-gritty of um, a RESOLVE trial, which is a trial that's been done. uh, And what we've done so far is that we've, uh, Lorimer has been part of a group that has been uh, creating a therapeutic approach that is called the fit for purpose model, if you like, it's used as a framework. And uh, we will delve in that. We also give you some insights of how this uh, paper was released and the, the 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 backgrounds of it, as far as we can go. Uh, and by the end of this webinar, we'll give you a, a bit of a detail um, of the the master sessions and Noi Group course, in uh, w- which Lorimer will teach in Europe in June and later that year, October in the U.S. and Canada. So please welcome um, and Lorimer. Um, I think we just start here to make the time as as valuable as we can. So um yeah, if you, if you're right, um, to introduce some of the work you've been done on the Resolve trial and yeah, the fit sure. for purpose uh, model. Sure, sure. Thanks, Bart.
1: G'day, everyone. um It's uh, forty degrees outside here where I live. Uh, I've just got out of the swimming pool and. Uh, I've just had a little bit of kangaroo to eat, and I thought that is about as stereotypically australian as i could I could start this call with but um i'm i'm standing i'm sitting on Kaurna land. it's It's a custom here in Australia to always acknowledge the custodial and custodial owners of the land whenever we meet in a situation like this so i I want to pay my respects to Ghana people and first Nations people, but thanks for the opportunity to um to talk a bit about the fit for purpose model. Uh, and I do wonder if it will become the fit model because we're already adapting it to you know fit for performance, fit for play. Um, and but from the get go, I really need to uh, give a nod to Professor Ben Wand at Notre Dame University, who I've, I've been collaborating with for decades. And he does a remarkable job Uh, teaching people how to become physiotherapists and through that work he's sort of at the cutting edge of the various developments in musculoskeletal pain and he was he's a big part of putting the Resolve care package together on the basis of the fit for purpose model that we sort of both have been working around and joined forces uh, some years ago to, to say well you know we're doing very similar things here let's them together but the fit for purpose model um one one reason that i i'm excited about it and i think that it's triggering a a a genuine excitement around the low back pain or the back pain field is that it is a treatment approach that was generated from the ground up and uh, that contrasts with a lot of the the treatments that we've used for chronic pain uh, certainly, that have come out of the psychological realm, where we've we've seen treatments that might work for something else, and we've adapted that to see if it works for for chronic pain. Whereas a fit for purpose model really took a deep dive into the into understanding the pathologies that are associated with chronic pain, and that that research work started in the late '90s. Um, in our group, it started sort of a, around two thousand, where Uh, we were identifying in the literature or in patients, these consistent uh, evidence across chronic pain states, actually, that various parts of the system were not working as they do in people who are not challenged by chronic pain. And uh, we can sort of divide them up into three bits. And, And the last bit that has become known as a pillar of the fit for purpose model, is the bit that the physical therapists among us will be most au fait with. And and that really talks about the the actual structural integrity of the body part. But I, but I want to come back to that last because the stuff that is is from the ground up being applied now across chronic pain states uh, are the other two pillars. Uh, and they sort of started to emerge 20, 25 years ago, and, and one we could summarize as uh, a pillar that is about your your conviction within your system that you are fit for purpose, that your body is actually fit for purpose. And there's a, there's a whole lot of data across uh, multiple fields that, that tell us that a lot of people, most people with musculoskeletal pain, Believe understandably that their the painful body part is not fit for w- what you want it to do so it's fragile or it's vulnerable or it doesn't work the right way or it's unstable or it's out of alignment or or it's uh, it's not being moved properly or your strategy's wrong you know there's sort of it's a belief and that when we talk about belief, we really are, are trying to encompass multiple levels of of your system the top level of which is articulating uh, I believe my back is fragile but we can also think about deeper levels of that where the system is operating as though your back is fragile so we could talk about in the fit for purpose model which has three pillars the first pillar is about the conviction that your body is fit for purpose but The second pillar has been developed on the basis of a wide range of studies, and and our research group's been at the at the forefront of this for some time, I think, identifying evidence that the the maps of the body that are held within the brain are are different. Uh, And we can we can talk about this in a few different ways. And when we when we get this across to health professionals within the context of, for example, a professional development course or When we want a patient to understand this component, we might talk about, you know, the the connection between your brain and your body or how well your brain and your body talk to each other or how accurately your brain has a a representation or a map of your body. These sort of ideas, uh, they're they're not. Normal in people with chronic pain. Those related to the back, they're not. They're not as we see them in people who are pain free. And uh, there's such a wide range of of experiments that have revealed that. Some of them are clinical experiments, like looking at tactile acuity. You see your sense of touch in the area. Your uh, your movement commands the motor control work of, for example, Paul Hodges, Michelle Sterling, Deb Fowler. Uh, some of the temporomandibular joint work uh, showing changes in cortical representation. So all of this big body of data that suggests that people with chronic pain, there is also a pillar in body maps uh, that are consistent with the body not being fit for, for purpose. And the way that Ben Wand has has um, labelled these pillars is really nice. The first pillar we, we talk about, you you have a conviction or a belief that your body is not fit for purpose. Your body doesn't feel fit for purpose to you. And that's that second pillar. And, and your bodily feelings come out of these brain representations. And there, there is a bit of work to understand that. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll obviously spend time on that when we've got a lot of time. So people really understand that. But the first pillar, your conviction that your body is not fit for purpose. The second pillar, it doesn't feel fit for purpose. And the third pillar is it's not fit for purpose, so these are the three pillars of the fit for purpose model, and they are a way of, of understanding chronic musculoskeletal pain states and actually we're we're currently working in non musculoskeletal pain states uh, pelvic pain, abdominal pain headaches uh, where the model still seems to fit uh, but we We conceptualize the problem not as a single origin tissue pathology, not as a a functional capacity inadequacy, not as a motor motor command disruption, but as an information processing and storage model. Uh, So so then, then there's clear clinical treatment that come out of a fit-for-purpose model because they target each of those pillars. So the fit for, if I was to try and summarise the fit-for-purpose model as quickly as Ben does, uh, I would say it, it conceptualises chronic pain as a problem of believing you're not fit for purpose, feeling like you're not fit for purpose, and not being fit for purpose. And they're the three targets of a complex care package.
0: So... That makes a lot of sense. Like these summarize <laughs> um probably a lot would make sense for I think for physiotherapists, for doctors and, and to some extent probably to psychologists as well, uh, because it touches on all the details. So how this is similar or different to other approaches that are seen to be biopsychosocial? Um, for example, like cognitive functional therapy or CBT. Yeah. Um well, see, I think most of the CBTs were
1: adapted for, for example, mood disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, phobias, post-traumatic stress, and have been um, cross-purposed to chronic pain. Uh, and the, the the fit-for-purpose model, as I, you know, as I suggested, it, has said, okay, well, let's start again. What what's gone wrong in people with chronic pain? And how do we target those things? And there's a lot of data that we have to collect and analyze, you know, over decades, actually, to be able to justify that. The I think from a distance, one can certainly see similarities with cognitive functional therapy, which is which is also a, a multimodal treatment package designed from the ground up, if you like, and uh, the. The similarities between the two approaches is that they both recognize a core pillar of reconceptualizing the problem and moving away from this idea of the problem being a structural pathology or a a thinking deficit or a mood disorder uh, and move towards how someone is actually understanding the contributors and the cause of their chronic pain so I think CFT cognitive functional therapy and Peter O'Sullivan has been the driver of of that I recognize other people are also doing that a lot of people are, are learning off Peter and others how to do that uh, but my understanding and from talking with Pete is that that changing your understanding of the problem is key and that's also key uh, within the fit for purpose model and the resolve treatment which is based on the fit for purpose model Uh, where it's different I think is uh, certainly in that second pillar what the fit for purpose model suggests is that these changes in how the brain represents the body and this sort of body brain connectivity uh, is part of the problem and the model takes a very neuroscience neurocentric or neuroimmune centric approach to understanding that based on the principles of how neural networks operate uh, and if anyone's done one of the master sessions that I've done we would have we spent a fair bit of time on this idea of neuro tags uh, and that's not part of the, the concept nor the intervention I think within cognitive functional therapy uh, and the link between these three pillars in the fit for purpose model is probably the thing that most obviously differentiates it from say cft uh, where educational science drives the reconceptualization and there's there's a massive amount of data in educational science uh, about how do people learn things in order to operationalize them in order to think differently, how do we help things stick, how do we target the right concepts and what are the right concepts and what do recovered consumers tell us we should do? Those sorts of things have been very informative in the fit for purpose model. The last pillar, which is about ensuring the body is fit for purpose, I think uh, the the resolve treatment and the other treatments that, that have come off a of fit for purpose model probably take a more con- conservative or a uh, a conventional approach to uh, increasing the physical capacity of the body through uh, delivering appropriate stimulus for change that's informed by physiology, uh, our current understanding of, of overload principles and hugging on to one of my favorite and most reliable principles of biology, which is the sweet zone for change. And this idea that the body will change if we get the exposure right. Uh, the the other model that I think is relevant here is the work that um, Howard Schubner is doing in North America around pain reprocessing therapy, and uh, pain education or explain pain is is a core pillar of that as well. Uh, and it's a it's a very exciting time for back pain, and my prediction is for the other musculoskeletal pain. So we, we've got half a dozen big clinical trials running at the moment at various stages, basically implementing fit-for-purpose-based care. But each of these new treatments in clinical trials clearly show benefit over their control. They use different controls, and that's really important. Uh, but they're all built from the ground up, and and the mechanism of effect, at least in two of those, in, the, in what we do I and mean, in what pain reprocessing therapy does, we've looked at. How does it work? What are the mediating mechanisms? And a big chunk of the um, improvement in pain and disability is explained by reconceptualisation of the problem. And I think it it's really pushed me and others in this space to think, wow, this, this is really important. Getting a shift in understanding is really important. More important than we thought it was when we started doing Explained Pain. It's just that we've realized over the last 20 years that we weren't very good at getting a shift in understanding and, and we're still not, not excellent, but we're getting better
0: at it. So um, uh, you guys have been working for a couple of years now on on a, on a big, big trial, like um, other approaches also being tested. Um, And I think you already mentioned the resolve trial. So um, that's a clinical trial. So, so, Uh, Could you briefly highlight or uh, a little dive into why this trial and why is it important to know about this? Oh yeah, I I love the
1: RESOLVE trial. I think um, it was beautifully planned, rigorously um, prepared. James McCauley at Neura in Sydney is a clinical trialist who was in charge of that trial. Ben uh, was in charge of Of putting all these, putting the pillars into a into a treatment that we could test in a clinical trial. So whenever you're doing a clinical trial, it's not exactly as you would deliver it uh, in real life, right? But you have to standardize it in order to test it. And for us, in order to compare it to another standardized treatment. And, And one of the reasons I love it is because I've felt for a while that if we do any if we do a clinical trial of any back pain intervention uh, for people with chronic back pain, uh, they'll improve. It's almost no matter what we do, they'll improve. All the data tell us they'll improve. Uh, but we haven't been able to find a treatment that uh, shows clearly an improvement that's better than uh, all its non specific effects, which leaves the whispering in my mind of, so is this just non Just a different way of packaging non-specific effects. So, we were very intentional about uh, having a control group in the Resolve trial, a control group that we we really we we worked out beforehand. When people are engaged in this treatment, we've been treating clinically along these lines for a decade. When people engage in this treatment, what do they love about it? And one of the things they love is that it involves the brain. So we thought in our control group we have to. Capture that excitement, the the brain. What else do they like? The connection with a therapist. Okay, we have to control for that. What else do they like? Uh, Having multiple components and being able to do things at home. So we set up, we put more, possibly more care to establish the sham intervention. Because what we wanted to know is, is it the learning, the refining of the neural maps, And the graded movement and loading that make the difference Uh, so in a way none of us really thought that we would that this trial would have a positive result what we were hoping for was that it would tell us what are the predictors of a positive result Uh, but when the trial you know it's very conservatively planned and the statistics were very conservatively planned and we had this phrase as we were planning it and doing it that we were saying we are making the Resolve treatment work really hard to, sh- to, to show some love, if that makes sense. You know, we're comparing it to a really challenging comparison group. And it showed a benefit over that con- comparison group. And when we dive deeper on the, on the data, that benefit is really exciting. There, there were the, the median outcome, so that's the middle result of all of the results, was recovery. Like it's amazing. Uh, we just don't see this in in chronic back pain. So uh, the the Resolve treatment. I mean, I'll talk a lot about the Resolve treatment at these courses and how we did it and how we're already adapting it, already evolving uh, our education offerings are way better than they were six years ago when we started the Resolve trial. Uh, but the treatment package um, that clearly targets those three pillars shows benefits on the three pillars, but importantly shows pain and disability and recovery and health use benefits compared to an equally compelling, equally credible, equally exciting and equally time consuming control intervention. Anyway, I mean, it's hard yeah. to summarize it quickly, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm a believer, um, not that we have found the answer. I don't think we have found the answer but that we have taken a significant step towards uh, a really high impact shift in care.
0: And that's exciting. It's really exciting to be a part of that. Well, I can imagine that. And um, as well as the in, in the data, like you suggested, that probably the clinical one-on-one, the, the the framework probably will allow therapists to create a true biopsychosocial approach that is offered new directions as well as um you will dive deeper during the course obviously and i think that will be quite a different course than you would teach or taught uh, 10 years ago is that right oh yeah
1: for sure i mean there's some things that have stayed true right um but the beauty of being a scientist is that you're expected to update you know when you when you realize your hypothesis doesn't cover everything or your theory is not quite right um but I mean, I look at how we're now thinking about the pain education component compared to five years ago, mm. very different. And yeah, I've got I've got to pay uh, pay tribute to Dave Butler um, in influencing my own journey on that um, because he he has been relentless at, at saying, what do the educationists say? What do the educationists say? And I've been, I guess I've been relentless in saying, what do the recovered consumers say? And, and between us, I think we're, we're onto something really good. And it's not just Dave and I. I mean, it's a whole team, you know, Ben and, and people in different groups around the world. Uh, you know, interested people could check out the Petal website. Uh, Petal stands for Pain Education Team of Absolute Legend. Uh, and that'll give you an idea of the people who are really engaged in pushing for pain education that changes understanding. Uh, and we we don't use that pedal words in papers. We say pain education team to advance learning. Uh, but but I think all those people doing it they're absolute legends.
0: Well, yeah. But people will remember the first. <laughs> <I reckon>. Yeah, <laughs> the absolute legend. You got a pedal.
1: Search pedal collaboration, and you'll find it.
0: Have Obviously, the, oh, that's the stuff great. We're working on. Yeah. So um, to summarize, um, Lars, and, and um, I think this is really exciting, so we can move on with some other conversations. And during the course, uh, I want to highlight the, uh, the dates, at least from the, the first course that will happen 14, 15 June in New York, the UK. Um, there will be course booked uh, later in that month in both valencia and vienna and uh we're waiting for some confirmation but um if you're interested just give us a give us an email so we we can make sure you're on the waiting list and we will send you or forward you to the uh, organizations that take care of uh, these courses uh as well as the us san francisco uh help me new york yeah yeah no uh well actually vancouver vancouver um
1: Yeah, and then we go to the so that's at the end of September, and then we go to the southern states of Canada, like California. Um, obviously, not Canada. Uh, we go to San Francisco, and then New York City. Yeah, that's in October.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I think it's pretty nice to, to get back face to face because we've we've I think we missed that a bit, or a bit yeah more than we thought. Um, as we love to see. I haven't been and- to North America
1: for I think four years, five years. Yeah. Oh,
0: so, a long time. Can't wait. Can't wait. So that that needs a big catch up for sure. Um so uh yeah just have a look at our website uh mastersessions.academy or just sign up for um uh, to keep uh updated. Uh we've recorded this session and we will also um publish it as a podcast on our master sessions podcast so um if you're interested in the USA and uh Canada courses please go to noigroup.com because they will uh, be hosting they will hosting those courses uh for the European courses uh you will find mastersessions.academy um but we will notify you we, we've got your email address and we'll make sure uh we'll let you know about the details um yeah this is exciting times again and it's good to see each other in the in in the, in the flesh again um and um there's lots to there's lots to share there loz um and lots to celebrate yeah like no, it's said, gonna be it's, it's exciting it's gonna be cool like uh, i haven't even touched on the virtual reality stuff which is just
1: very cool the uh, neuroimmune developments the the books ah oh, it's been it's been fun Anyway,
0: it's going to be great. Come, it's going come. to be. Come, <laughs> come, 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 for sure. All right, so we're going to wrap this up. Thank you for uh, uh, turning up live because that's a massive effort, everyone. Thank you, thank you yeah, so much you. for taking that effort. Um, and um, we're looking forward to uh, hear from you back again. Um, thank you. Um, have a great day or night or morning, whatever. Uh, take care and um, see ya. See you, folks.